So we have air travel, then we have conventions. Uh, so how what's how's that changing? And then we have uh, urban sprawl, just where can things grow? Just kind of where's the land available? Then probably um, the we should talk about policy. I think right. where that's you know for not only housing but just other things. So let's let's get into that. Yeah, we could talk about policy. I think, and I mean, let's start with the elephant in the room or the most recent thing on the national headlines. I'm Drew Brenneman, and this is the Rise and Invest podcast. I bought my first two properties as a 19-year-old with my own money that I earned from an online business I started in high school. I've now grown my portfolio from that first duplex to hundreds of millions of dollars of investment property. My goal with this show is to give you the resource I wanted when I first started out. Subscribe to our podcast where I break down real-life stories, tactics, strategies, and current market information you need to be a successful investor. Welcome to the Rise and Invest podcast. I'm your host, Drew Brenneman. With me today is guest, Dom Scafidi. He's a marketing manager here at Rise Invest. Uh, Dom, welcome. Hey, thanks, Drew. Great. Well, yeah, so Dom and I, we were talking and uh, kind of going over some uh, more unique things, just talking about different markets to invest in that I haven't heard a lot of people talking about. So I wanted to get on here and shoot an episode with them. Yeah, no, it's uh, exciting to be here. Join Rise just a little over a month ago. Um, really excited to join the team. Um, you know, bring in some different types of experience to the team. I graduated from Lake Forest a couple of years back. Uh, major was in politics. Minor was in entrepreneurship and urban studies, urban planning. I was pretty excited to talk about some of these things today with you, Drew. Yeah, and a lot of some of the stuff you were saying, it sort of echoed a few things I had just noticed or told to others where. Uh, and we'll get into it, but you know, where some of these cities, it's not, it's not necessarily just all in the numbers. Where there's just like a cool factor. Some of these cities have had, yeah. where I know this is like a anecdote of one thing we eventually will get into. But like when Tesla opened up their Austin, either just for where they put the Gigafactory or where they moved a actual like a corporate office or expanded to there, Elon was doing an interview and it was he just said everyone when we asked where should we open the second office, everyone said Austin. Yeah. No, there's this, you know, it's this cool factor that we were talking about, and it's not something that you can point to a specific number and say, this is the cool factor. But there's a reason why they're picking Austin, Texas over, you know, Columbus, um, let's just say. And there's there's reasons behind that. And I think we're going to dive into some of those things today. It's that marketing edge of things um, that I want to talk a little bit about. There's a reputational piece that comes with this these cities' growth. So we have air travel, then we have conventions. Uh, so how what's how's that changing? Then we have uh, urban sprawl, just where can things grow? Just kind of where's the land available? Then probably um, the we should talk about policy, I think, right. where that's, you know, for not only housing, but just other things. So let's let's get into that. Yeah, we could talk about policy, I think. And I mean, let's start with the elephant in the room or the most recent thing on the national headlines. I'm Drew Brenneman, and this is the Rise and Invest podcast. I bought my first two properties as a 19-year-old with my own money that I earned from an online business I started in high school. I've now grown my portfolio from that first duplex to hundreds of millions of dollars of investment property. My goal with this show is to give you the resource I wanted when I first started out. Subscribe to our podcast where I break down real-life stories, tactics, strategies, and current market information you need to be a successful investor. Welcome to the Rise and Invest podcast. I'm your host, Drew Brenneman. With me today is guest, Dom Scafidi. He's a marketing manager here at Rise Invest. 
Uh, Dom, welcome. Hey, thanks, Drew. Great. Well, yeah, so Dom and I, we were talking and uh, kind of going over some uh, more unique things, just talking about different markets to invest in that I haven't heard a lot of people talking about. So I wanted to get on here and shoot an episode with them. Yeah, no, it's uh, exciting to be here. Join Rise just a little over a month ago. Um, really excited to join the team, um, you know, bring in some different types of experience to the team. I graduated from Lake Forest a couple of years back. Uh, major was in politics, minor was in entrepreneurship and urban studies, urban planning. I was pretty excited to talk about some of these things today with you, Drew. Yeah, and a lot of some of the stuff you were saying, it sort of echoed a few things I had just noticed or told to others where, uh, and we'll get into it, but you know, where some of these cities, it's not it's not necessarily just all in the numbers where there's just like a cool factor some of these cities have had yeah. where I know this is like a anecdote of one thing we eventually will get into. But like when Tesla opened up their Austin, either just for where they put the Gigafactory or where they moved to actual like a corporate office or expanded to there, Elon was doing an interview and it was he just said, everyone, when we asked where should we open the second office, everyone said Austin. Yeah. No, there's this, you know, it's this cool factor that we were talking about, and it's not something that you can point to a specific number and say, this is the cool factor, but there's a reason why they're picking Austin, Texas over, you know, Columbus, um, let's just say, and there's, there's reasons behind that. And I think we're going to dive into some of those things today. It's that marketing edge of things um, that I want to talk a little bit about. There's a reputational piece that comes with this, these cities growth. Yeah. And so, yeah, what do you just, let's just jump into it. Where do you sure. want to start? I think, you know, let's, let's start by just kind of over overviewing the case here um, of these different indicators. We have the classic indicators that um, Evan, our VP, talked about on a recent podcast. Really great stuff on that one. Um, but the ones we're going to talk about today are things like air travel, trade show um, traffic, and convention center traffic. Um, things that are increasing kind of the civic pride, the brand of the overall city. Um, they bring, you know, executives, workers, and talent to the city. Uh, and these are things that I guess you could say help put the city on the map more than others. Um, I think let's start by talking a little bit about air travel. Um, that's one of the, I think, unique rankings, especially as we exit COVID. Um, when we're exiting COVID here, we're seeing a new trend or a new track um, on the air travel rankings. Uh, for the first time in history, we're seeing U.S. airports ranking over the international airports that had been in the top of the ranking for decades. You know, Denver placing over Dubai. Uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, placing over New York. These are big changing trends that I think we're going to see impacting the cities going forward. Yeah, and this to jump in, I'll rattle off the top 10 just to give some yeah. some context. So this was worldwide for 2021? Yes, worldwide for 2021 data here. So number one was Atlanta. Number two, Dallas-Fort Worth. Number three, Denver. Number four, Chicago. Number five, Los Angeles, LAX. Six was Charlotte. Seven, Orlando. Eight is Guangzhou, China, nine's Chengdu, China, and then 10 is Las Vegas. So that's, you know, uh, interesting list to see for a lot of things like where's New York on that. And then where's, um, even to have those two other cities in China, those aren't their biggest cities. Obviously right. Shanghai and Beijing have, uh, you would think more travel. So I'm not, that's interesting to, to see too, but yeah, why don't just, just so people have a visual where it's interesting. These are a lot of those sort of the top three are some of the bigger, secondary cities that you hear a lot about in real estate right now. I mean, yeah. DFW, Atlanta, Denver, those apartment markets have been uh, killing it in a good way for values and rent growth. Um, so yeah, why don't you just 
jump in, but just give that color. Yeah, I think, you know, and hopefully if you're, if you're watching the video version, you will, you'll see a graph on screen that shows airline data going back to 2002. So like looking at the last 20 years um, on this, on this graph, you're going to see that during, you know, the COVID drop, all this air travel dropped to historic lows. And then out of this, you're seeing, you know, airports take off um, in traffic numbers like never before. So I think, you know, you look at Atlanta, it's rebounded quite nicely. So is Dallas, but airports that have surprised us are Denver, you know, jumping 16 places. Um, this is an interesting correlation I wanted to bring up. Um, you look at Atlanta, uh, an airport that became the world's busiest back in 1998, um, putting it on the map along with the Olympics and other things of that sort. Uh, the reputational boom for Atlanta took the city from, um, you know, it doubled its metro population from 98 to 2022. So, you know, if you look at a Denver that jumped 16 places in the airport rankings, I think there's no hard line to say that it's going to double its population in 20 years. Um, but it's, it's now on the map for sure in terms of air travel and air traffic. Yeah. And it's getting, like you had mentioned, a lot of opportunity then in front of executives and sort of key decision makers to sort of experience the city. And the other thing I think is, you know, really interesting to look at here as well is, you know, the tourism piece. Um, a lot of these people are traveling to Denver right now. It's a really nice open place to go, you know, be a tourist at. And you have people that live in these, you know, more blue big cities in the Midwest, colder climates, going to Denver, seeing it. And they might say, I'm a remote worker. It's time to, you know, pick up and move out to Denver, get an apartment condo out there. Um, so the tourism piece is huge, too. It's going to bring people to a city, you know, more raise that interest as well. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And and I think it's one thing where this is just the 2021 ranking. I think it'll be interesting to see how things change because you could, you know, like a lot of times we look at data from multifamily or different uh, indicators that we use. A lot of times we're looking at the rate of change. So it will be interesting to see like what you know, your point on, on Denver uh, jumping so many spots, like that's really notable because if it was always number three, maybe it's not nothing different really happening, but it jumped up a ton and it's going to get that many more eyeballs on it. What about then the, the conventions? How do you, does that, that plays into this then? Or Yeah. I mean, the, the convention piece is, it's a big piece for the tax base of a given city. Um, you know, having this convention traffic brings in hospitality taxes that they can use in other ways to just improve the city, taking tax burden off of the taxpayer. Um, infrastructure investments and things of that sort. But the convention traffic also, it's going to be a huge piece of bringing in new talent to the city. Um, and I think the most important thing here is the same index that a big, you know, major Fortune 500 is going to use to evaluate where to hold their next conference is the same, you know, set of criteria they're going to use when looking at what city to maybe relocate their headquarters or open up a satellite office. So if you're going to hold your next big tech conference, let's just say in Austin, it checks off all the you know the marks for that. Well, if you're looking to relocate now, that might be the same. The same sets of criteria have already been evaluated. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's interesting. In some cities, they're just uh, do did we notice any that had a big jump or change? Because one thing I noticed, uh, just I mean, they're just are like convention cities, and it's really just there's a, there's a convention space. There's a lot of convention type hotels. Like I know whatever list, even before we pulled it, I was like, I know Orlando and Vegas are going to be right at the top or basically there just because there's so many big hotels there, you know, for Disney and then for uh, just for Las Vegas for the strip. So then that's um, we notice any interesting changes or trends. Yeah, some trends to definitely call out. I mean, if you look back, this is a USA Today article. Maybe we could throw that on screen, too. Um, 
but it's the 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 top 10 convention cities looking back to 2010 or what everybody might think they're going to be chicago boston orlando atlanta um, but if you speed up to today it's a different source from yahoo here yahoo news um the sunbelt states have taken over austin tucson san antonio and of course las vegas all holding top spots on that list and then just want to go back to those metrics i was mentioning earlier um the men the metrics that you know companies are looking at for where to when holding a convention in a city what they're looking at it's safety it's convention center space it's available corporate hotels um paired with the average cost of a meal and the average cost of an outing um, so those are all things that they're looking at and you throw on top, maybe cost of a home or things like that when relocating a corporate headquarters and you've already checked off most of the, most of the list. Yeah. Number, number one they're showing is actually San Diego, California, um, Atlanta, Austin's number three, Tucson's number four and San Antonio's number five to round that out. So, right. And so it's interesting to look at what they're evaluating to see what makes a top, uh, you know, I think what I was referring to then that was just which well, which cities have the most conferences. Where yeah. this is the the I think the list is the best cities for conferences. So they're evaluating the criteria, so like what you're saying, where right. what what makes a good conference, and in large part, it's the same thing as what would make a good uh, office location. And so it's interesting to see again; these are a lot of these second tier, you know, real estate markets that you know it's not the New Yorks and the LAs and Chicago's on this list. Uh, they don't they don't appear on this list of 10 anywhere. Um, but so and then a lot of these, these would have been real estate markets you would have done very, very well invested in. So it's interesting to to see. So both looking at air travel and then conventions is another potential metric to, to look at. Another indicator, exactly. Um, and it's I guess you could say part of that cool factor we mentioned earlier as well. Um, you look at, you know, Austin, Texas and some of the cultural institutions there. Um, they could rival in LA or Chicago or a big major city. So they're going to hold a convention there because it's going to have more, you know, cultural influence than just another city down the road. It's interesting you mentioned that about Austin. I, w I was just there a couple of weeks ago visiting my sister. Yeah. She and my brother-in-law live there. And there were so many cool restaurants there. Like it was, it was like a Chicago type thing where that's one thing where a lot of times we'll, I'll go somewhere and being in Chicago, there's a, it seems like a, unlimited like just no limit on how many great restaurants we have here yeah and a lot of times we'll go somewhere and it feels like in these like second tier let's call them cities and it's like they have like five good restaurants i mean it's not actually the number but it feels like when you ask people where do you go like what's like the best place to go it's like there's like a few options yeah. you know like <laughs> they keep saying the same ones you know and then in austin it was just like have you tried this place? We tried this place where you could spend, you know, like a month there oh, yeah. and go somewhere different. Uh, and what was interesting was they, uh, I had mentioned something about Dallas and the people that were in Austin were like, Oh, Dallas, they just, that's like, just like, uh, you got chilies. <laughs> yeah. Like this like chain restaurant, strip mall. I mean, yep. it's cool. If you like the suburbs, it was how they were talking. So I was sticking up for Dallas. Cause I was like, I don't, I've been there. They have good restaurants too. It's not like what you're saying, but yeah. Yeah, there's just like a cool culture and, you know, and Chicago has that too with the food scene here where there's a lot of people where, I mean, this has got to be one of the cities in the U.S. with the most or close to Michelin star restaurants and, yeah, um, you know, a lot of these like chefs that are on TV, you know, a lot of them, it's like they have restaurants in Chicago or started out in Chicago and now they're filming stuff in L.A. But, you know, like Stephanie Izzard and all these people where, yeah. Um, 
or then it expands from there but it's pretty off often where you'll find out like the um best you know let's say one, one of the better restaurants in a city was it's like a second or third location for something that maybe started out in chicago or new york or something and austin's on that list you know so it's right. interesting oh that that just came up because that's it's on it was a sound trip they call it you know la of the east for a reason i mean the environment as you were mentioning too in certain areas it looks like california with the houses kind of hanging off cliffs and things like that um but the the restaurant scene as well is incredible in austin um, it's not something that you can understate as well. It becomes not just a tourist, you know, thing, but it also becomes a thing that brands the, the city as a global city. Yeah, it, it's interesting. I had I'd gone to Austin like ten years ago, but we just stayed downtown in Airbnb and mostly just stayed down there for the trip. It was just a weekend. Yeah, I never realized until this last trip what it was like out in the suburbs. I mean, they got yeah houses hanging off of cliffs essentially. Yeah, uh, it's not as I guess as not really like a cliff like you'll find in California, but it was, you know, a lot of houses at the top of hills and it was really, uh, yeah, if you were moving from California, that's the closest thing I've seen to it so far. So it's it's in no surprise then, I guess, a lot of these companies when they think where to relocate if you wanted to get out of California into more business-friendly environment. Yeah. Why they'd be choosing Austin. So too, and like culturally, that's a little more, you know, line, it's in Texas, but it's, you know, it's not as conservative as a lot of these places. Yeah, I think we can also just talk about, you know, being a blue city in a red state. You can look at Phoenix and also maybe Atlanta. Um, they have more blue-leaning policies, let's just say, but they're in a red state. So the overall, you know, regulatory community is not as harsh as it might be in an Illinois, let's just say, or in New Jersey or California. Um, I, I do want to talk a little bit about sprawl. I think that will be an interesting segue if we go into that a little bit. Um when you talk about Austin, you talked about is you ventured out into the suburbs and you see some, you know, nice environments, you see Lake Travis, you see things like that. Um, think of communities outside of the major cities. Think of a surprise Arizona. Think of a Plainfield, Illinois. Think of a Henderson, Nevada. Um, these communities that maybe 10, 20 years ago were literally just farm fields or desert plots. And today they've grown into tens of thousands of people with thriving communities, huge tax bases, tons of multifamily development and it just continues as far as the eye can see with golf courses and so on um what what i've always been interested as a kid was looking into where did these places come from because i got to watch them develop you know going out to my grandparents in sun city west arizona and seeing surprise go from a strip mall to a city of almost two hundred thousand people how do these places develop and how do i know where the next one's going to be i think the map has a lot to tell us um, and, you know, if you look here, we'll definitely throw this one on screen. It's from the New York Times. Um, it's showing new land development by county uh, from 2001 to 2019. And there's some areas on this map that I find you're like, why would this be an area of development? And then other ones you're like, OK, no, no, no surprise here. Um, but, yeah, if you look at Phoenix as a prime example, I mean, Phoenix and then the Texas metro areas added more new development in the last 20 years in pretty much the entire country combined. Um, Texas, you know, home to the 19 of the 25 fastest developing areas in the country. Um, how you can tell what's actually going to be the next Plainfield, Surprise, or Henderson uh, is basically by looking at the land. Um, if you're going to look at the map, look at the land and look at what natural geographic barriers you might have that either won't move. Some of these might be mountain ranges, national parks, others might be military bases that just can't move or, you know, even just water is a prime example. Um, 
This other map we'll throw up on screen is from Peter Zion. He's a geopolitical economist, um, very well known in the land use and agriculture community. Um, he, he made a map here that talks about just areas for potential growth over the next 100 years in the U.S. and what metro areas are going to have the easiest chance to grow and continue to sprawl out, not just easiest, but cheapest. Um, and I've put together just a little short list here of the metros that are going to have the cheapest unconstrained growth, and then maybe the metros that are going to have more constraining geography, and would love to hear what you think about those. Um, the top five for regions that are going to have easy, cheap, unconstrained growth, according to this map, it's going to be Austin, Texas, and that kind of Austin-San Antonio corridor, Charlotte, uh, might even end up reaching uh, the Raleigh area and also down into Columbus at some point. Um, it's got no known geographic barriers. Salt Lake City and that whole corridor as well has tons of expansion potential. Uh, and then finally, Minneapolis and Las Vegas on the growth side of things. Um, top five metros that are going to be constrained by geography in the future. Uh, we look at San Diego, San Francisco, Miami-Dade County, which comes with some climate change issues as well. Uh, NOLA is extremely, um, NOLA or New Orleans is extremely constrained. And then Phoenix is also very constrained because of some natural geographic features. But, you know, tell me what you think about that. Yeah, well, I'd say I'm, in, I'm surprised to see Phoenix on there as a constrained uh, constrained city. I know they have South Mountain, so they have a mountain to the south. Yep. But I think they can go in all the other directions. Really. There are some mountains out to the west in National Park land that kind of deters them from further expansion. And then you also have to think about, like, think about a Dallas, a city that's sprawled out, you know, 270 miles, let's just say, in geographic area down to Dallas all the way to Fort Worth. Um, Phoenix has also sprawled significantly in the last 20 years. So they've, they've already reached the edge of their potential sprawl potential. And as time goes on, it's going to become more expensive to build further out. And it also becomes less desirable. Right. Yeah, yeah. and it does, it does make less sense if you can't charge as much, obviously, that far out. And right. It, all the building materials and construction costs are basically the same wherever you're building it. Right. Yeah, you know, within the city. Yeah, that. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm surprised that, uh, too, I guess, on the unconstrained cheap list, uh, cheaper, uh, cheaper land, Salt Lake City corridor, because, I mean, that's, you, you got a, Thought of like a lake on one side and then the mountains on the east. So then was surprised. So then that's got a lot of room to go. Which directions do you think? It looks like to me on this map here, it seems like it has, you know, at least it can go in all directions according to this map. But to me, it, you know, it seems like they have the built infrastructure to go further north and south and a little bit east. There is that lake to the west, though, that's going to deter their expansion in that direction. Yeah, that, well, I mean, I'm looking at it now. You could, they could actually, I think, go. No, so they got a mountain too on the west. No, so yeah. So that's been, uh, yeah, that's that's interest. That's an interesting one to make the list. But yeah, either way, and then, uh, but yeah, a lot of these Austin, Charlotte, Minneapolis. There's nothing around there in terms of a, there's no barrier. No barrier. So, yeah, and you know, even at least Las Vegas, you can you know go at say at one of the strip hotels higher up. But you can see there's mountains around at least. Like there's at least yeah. some barriers there. But yeah, especially those three: Austin, Charlotte, Minneapolis. There's just nothing uh stopping you really in any direction for expansion right so that's it's been interesting too i mean seeing how some of these cities have grown too um you know just where it's a little just kind of different like how different parts end up where obviously like in austin like the 
western suburbs ended up being really high end i guess because of the lake and yeah. it's quick to get downtown but yeah that's that's interesting yeah because that's something where i heard in the last housing boom and it ended up being not uh you know sorry in 2006 i read a book where it was the real estate uh what do you want to call him just one of the real estate people that was on robert kiyosaki's team so rich dad poor dad and then he had like a, okay. a, an advisor we'll call him i think his name was dolph DeRus, and he put out a book and it was about why las vegas is you know basically uh, going to be like the next like New York, basically, mm. you know, like it it was, you know, we're constrained on all sides by mountains and this place can just only go up, you know, in value. Like it's so constrained. And obviously it didn't really work out like that with home values falling in half. And they were given, you know, it was just so propped up by second and third homes and investor buyers, that market. Right. But it was interesting. So I've heard kind of these arguments before and sometimes made well, sometimes not. That That's like really memorable because there was actually like a whole yeah. book on that. I'm sure it's still out somewhere. Um, basically making the case for Vegas um, where why, why it's so constrained. But some of these is no surprise. Yeah, like you see San Diego, San Francisco. I mean, these are geographically constrained. I mean, it'd be interesting to like talk about some of the policies even where they even if those weren't there they would constrain themselves yeah you know they i remember looking i was in san francisco and i saw this condo project being built it's really nice went on the website to see or something was being built i wanted to see what it was and there was a real deal article about it and people were giving this deal a hard time in the comments because it had fireplaces and i didn't i <laughs> didn't actually know what the problem was yeah with the fireplace um you know, but in San Francisco, like that is, you know, it's to that point where that's bad for the environment. Oh, so that's it's I'm sure it has to do with uh, some sort of thing it's putting out or to be honest, I don't know uh, what it was. I didn't I didn't bother looking into it, but I just remember thinking like, wow, it is hard to build here like that. It's tough. You, you got me thinking about that Vegas point, you know, Vegas, you know, being the next New York, an observation being made in 2006. And, you know, maybe it could have been, but the way the city's set up, the way the color, the car culture is embedded and the lack of, you know, a metro system like New York has and hard infrastructure like that, Vegas doesn't have the ability to shoot up like that. They had a monorail that was a multi-billion dollar boondoggle that really doesn't go anywhere. Um, so just like, you know, the transcontinental railroad or anything else, you know, man has to make the land valuable and make it accessible. Um, so if we're going to go up, or go out, you have to have the infrastructure necessary to get there. Yeah, and I think I just tried to Google real quick on what was this book about, but it wasn't, I guess, yeah, thinking about it, it wasn't so much about uh, is it going to be the next New York. It was more about just how supply-constrained Las Vegas is. And I think it was in this this book, 52 Homes in 52 Weeks or something. Where was he was it, just, what year was it? You said like 06? This was 2006, this okay. book. But that, anyways, is... It's not worth reading because it didn't. It, it was not even close to accurate of what happened, but it was um, making a similar case, just sort of not in a it, not accurate. But it's it gets it's another person thinking like what what has these natural barriers? What do they do for yeah. the city and the growth? Yeah, and I think too something then. So I mean, so far we I mean things to consider that maybe maybe you weren't then. So we have air travel, right? Uh, really try to see how it's changing, not so much just because uh, O'Hare, Chicago is like a top five airport. That doesn't tell me much yet necessarily. 
uh, until I know how how it was what was it in the past. If it's always been a top five airport, it doesn't seem like there's anything new. Right. But a lot of these in this list, they're they're new entrants to the top ten and they're uh, you know, breaking the top three. So and they're leapfrogging, you know, as you said, global airports. Yeah, huge right. global airports and it's it's absolutely insane to see that they're leapfrogging these other major global destinations like that. That shows that the city's on track for you know, hopefully future growth. Yeah, so we have air travel, then we have conventions. Uh, so how what's how's that changing? And then we have uh, urban sprawl, just where can things grow? Just kind of where's the land available? Then probably um, the we should talk about policy. I think right. where that's you know for not only housing but just other things. So let's let's get into that. Yeah, we could talk about policy, I think. And I mean, let's start with the elephant in the room or the most recent thing on the national headlines, which is the overturn of Roe v. Wade. Um, you know, wh wherever you sit on the political spectrum, it has had real world impacts um, to red states. Um, and re those real world impacts are that you have companies that are looking to now either pull out of those states as a result of this ruling or to you know allow employees to relocate. Um, we've seen... Google's already committed to paying for employees to relocate to states that have abortion access. Um, you have the Massachusetts governor held a press conference recently talking about how there's been increased interest in his state, aside from the um, highly regulated environment that Massachusetts is. Um, and you have, you know, a morning council survey saying that, you know, over half of Americans are in support of these big corporations supporting uh, relocation cost for employees. Um, so we see the, the real world impacts. We don't know what they're going to be yet in terms of data, how many people are going to move, how many companies are going to move, but the, the statements are out and people are looking to make the moves. Um, on top of that, there doesn't seem to be a policy solution to this on a national level. So it will remain uh, overturned for the time being. Yeah. And I mean, this where now these states that were, you know, if we're just talking about it as an economic issue for this, it's like, they had uh, all this, let's say, business momentum. You know, the Texas, uh, yeah, uh, Florida. They didn't have a anything come into effect with a ban yet, but their governor wants one. Right. So then they didn't have any. They had just all these tailwinds. Everybody's moving there. It's easy to do business. And now this is like a, a reset. Where if you were thinking about moving your company to, well, actually, I should say on CNBC during. Um, during lunch a couple of days ago, I was watching something and they, I was just watching whatever was on and they had yeah. a, one of the reporters, he was doing a live shot in front of Disney in Orlando. And what they were talking about is their top states to do business list. So ranking every state for how good it is to do business. Hmm. They're going to add a new metric this year. And what it's going to be, they called it the, we're now have a, there's a pretty big percentage of the scoring, whatever it was. And it was now it's called the life health and inclusion uh, metric. And okay. so what they are going to look at is they, they refer to it as like how are states and companies grappling with the culture war was the term they used. And so they, yeah, so they, they were going to, uh, and this was already uh, put in place before, uh, before Roe being overturned like this, this CNBC thing. Yeah. So they, what they were talking about was childcare availability and then like uh uh, let's say friendliness towards some emerging markets. They called it like cannabis and cryptocurrency. Mm -hmm. But then the story they followed up with was basically similar to this row issue where Disney was getting some sort of incentive from Florida to move people from Los Angeles to Orlando. And the people that work at Disney 
at least many of them are not moving. They don't want to go. They said they would, and now they're changing their mind. Right. And this story, this was before uh, Roe was overturned, so it wasn't about that necessarily, but it was just like a perfect example of Florida's got everything going for it, but it was just, it's too whatever uncertain or too liberal or sorry too conservative for someone moving from los angeles to to hand to to say okay i'll do it it's interesting to see that that metric is now being introduced into the rankings for top friendly business climates i mean you have certain states that already had trigger laws in place that have now overturned um their abortion access in their states you have blue states even like michigan wisconsin that have older laws in the books that as soon as roe was overturned have made abortion access much more challenging um, so for the access to abortion, it's going to be interesting to see how people actually move around or are they actually going to just go to places to get that done and then come back? Um, will people actually relocate? I'm not entirely sure yet, but it sounds like they might. Yeah. And I, well, I think it's, it's there now these states where there's a ban, they create this whole business headwind now where the, cause you're having these businesses relocate from places where it, abortion would be legal generally it's the new yorks and californias and illinois where most people moving to let's say the Sun Belt or these cities that are booming they're moving out of these big markets that are all liberal right and they're all so then it gives you pause if now your employees are going to say oh, i don't want to go there i have this right here i don't want to i don't want to follow you to that place where this would be banned and the norms have changed too i mean the norms have changed with covid we we now see that people don't have to be tied to an office they're going to be tied to a more remote or hybrid schedule so they, they it's the powers in the employees hands companies might say we're going to be moving to texas and they're going to say well i can continue to work remotely from home in new york or in you know california um that trend is going to obviously impact i think real estate and you know multifamily going forward as well this remote work trend yeah yeah that definitely has where and that's been a, like a lot of these companies they you know during COVID they let you go wherever you want you just got to work in a certain time zone generally and then that's been a huge boom for these places but then if you can just that easily move around while you know and this is this is an important issue to many and why why would you stay in a place where now this is banned right so another thing looking at the regulatory space i mean you have states that were way ahead on remote work regulation, like in New York, that was very tax friendly for remote workers. Um, other states, like a Texas, are actually somewhat behind on that front, on the remote work front. So it'll be interesting to see if the state houses are going to catch up on remote work friendliness or if they're going to stick more towards the office simply because it's going to help them on the tax base side of things. Download our 100 plus page passive investing guidebook today at riseinvest.com slash downloads. Accredited investors can sign up for our multifamily investment opportunities by hitting the invest now button on our website. Now back to the show. Pretty similar in different states are have almost like different culture with their taxes where like California is really aggressive with figuring out how long you've been in their state. Oh yeah. So, cause I had an investor who was splitting time between Illinois and California. And then he was like, it's just like too expensive cause they're and too much the hassle. So then he, he ended up his second home's in Arizona now. Arizona to get away from those. That is a lot more, a lot easier to deal with. And the rates like a, what, uh, I don't have all the tax rates memorized, but it's like a quarter as much, you know, so it's, it's meaningful. I don't know if this is a hundred percent real, but I've heard about this exit tax in California, this tax, if you're going to fully depart the state, there is a tax that you have to pay when you do fully exit. Um, that's 
obscene to me that that's possible. And they really do track your your time in the state. I have not heard of that. Um, that's interesting. And that's passed or? I think that's already in existence. Oh, I see it. It would go into effect next year for billionaires. Okay. And eligible millionaires. Okay. Okay. Um, okay. Great. That'll that'll help, uh, help attract more. <laughs> Wealthy residents. At least it's not overhyped. That's what I've heard. I mean, it actually exists. So, okay. That's good to hear that it actually is a real thing. Yeah. And I think that's that's a good segue then maybe too. So uh, something that I think about then, because or did you have more? Or? The only other thing I wanted to bring up was on the cultural culture war front of things that we kind of mentioned. Um, I, I think it's very interesting to see that certain states are still holding back on things like crypto. They're holding back on things like sports betting and sports gambling, even though it's now nationally legal. They're holding back on things like cannabis um, simply because they're against the culture of the state. Now you look at a Colorado, you look at an Illinois, look at a Michigan even. Um, the green market has done you know great for those states. Um, other states are still holding back on that. And I think that that's going to be a huge thing going forward as well. We could see these things become nationally legal. Um, we also see different markets like a Las Vegas betting on crypto and suffering as a result of it. So, yeah. yeah, interesting. Yeah, no, that yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And then too, that's something where if that's important to someone to pick where to where to live, that's just another resident they're missing out on, right? You know, because they're not, uh, you know, haven't adjusted their laws and regulations. So, yeah. And then the other, what I was going to add to the list then, so from those four things you mentioned, was really kind of came up with the California taxes, just sort of fiscal health. Yeah. You know, one thing that we haven't um, talked about really at all in the podcast and uh, it's, it's kind of in the background of why, how we're picking real estate markets where in general, we're looking at these red states because uh, they're growing and you're not, you don't have the headwind of potential rent control or other just regulations. Um, because to, to me, almost in a way like having uh, if there already is rent control, at least that's, you know, like, okay, this is how it works. And if you want to invest there, like you have like a set of rules, Yeah. but it's the worst scenario to me is could be almost where it's going to be added where St. Paul, uh, Minnesota, they just added regular, uh, rent control in the last year or so. And it stopped essentially all new development. There's wow. a really good, uh, wall street journal journal article out on it. Uh, cause this is just obvious if you're if you've taken econ 101 yeah. um in anywhere where if you're gonna do something where you're you're gonna restrict the, the price where now there's gonna be less supply less supply puts a lot more pressure on the available units and drives the rents up so that's it doesn't work how people think if you want to have lower rents the best thing you can do is have more units be built where that you just if you someone wants the um for the longest time, like Dallas was not a great place to invest in apartments. They just always built too many. You look oh. at these lists and they would be building 20,000 units. It would be under construction at a time. The same amount as like LA and New York cities are obviously way bigger. And then you, and so they just were always flooding the market. So Dallas did its own job of keeping rents down for the longest time. Now the growth has picked up so much where rents have grown dramatically there. But for the longest time in the eighties and nineties, that was the case. And then um that's that's why it has that boom and bust reputation it's just there's whenever it was going well it's always overbuilt yeah yeah and so that's that is um so yeah if you want to help reduce rents like you you need more you just need more supply yeah. that's how it that's how it works as someone who who owns properties and sees how it works because if you have rent control um 
you know, the deals don't make sense to build on the lower rents. So now you have no new supply. So I didn't read the whole article or much of it because I already know how it, what would happen. So I didn't need to spend time. I felt like reading it. Like I know, yeah. but it, the, the title was basically there's no new development in St. Paul now. Now that people have canceled, literally have canceled affordable housing projects even. Wow. Where now it's because there's this cap that they don't, um, it's a 3% per year cap forever. And so if you, even if you built an affordable housing property and you're, you could raise your rents more than that, you're not allowed to like it's so just all new development stopped and now there's just you know issues in that in the rental market there so to, so that's um or do you have anything to add i was or? just gonna the political policy does have real impacts and you have a lot of people you know big business people that will say we can go around the government don't necessarily have to deal with it it's you know small and influence and whatever well it has real world impacts like that and not just you know 20 to 40 years down the line they're immediate in many cases like this, where you have development dry up in a, in a city immediately after a policy is passed like that. Yeah. And I had uh, someone on a, on a podcast I heard explain, uh, and he's someone I follow on Twitter, Moses uh, Kagan, Kagan. how you yeah. pronounce his last name. And he he's great. So give him a follow on Twitter. I don't know how to spell his name here. It's I can. Kagan. K-A-G-A-N is his last name. Um, Moses. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, M O S E S K A G A N. Yeah, but he described on a podcast the he invested he invests in Los Angeles and he described how rent control works. Is let's say you have uh, in terms of what it does to the apartment market. So there they have different they have two types two rent controls to deal with one at the city level and then there's a statewide rent control in California. Statewide cap per year increase is pretty high. So most of the time that doesn't apply. It's like inflation plus something or it's or a high percentage. I don't have all this memorized because right. I'm not in California. But then there's also a city one. But when someone moves out, you can reset the rent to market at the city level. And actually what St. Paul did is they said you can't ever reset it. You have to know what the prior person paid and only have an increase from that. You can never move it wow. to market. Anyways, in Los Angeles, you can move it to market, this vacancy decontrol thing. But they are... Uh, what, how he described it was you have, let's say, I'll just pick a percentage, 75% of the units are have rent control, the ones built in prior to the 1970s. Then a, a new employer moves in, let's say there's 3,000 new jobs. If that's in Dallas, those 3,000 people just get spread out over all the apartments. It's barely noticeable. Right. But in Los Angeles, 75% of the units aren't really available. They're, they're, people are not moving because they have this below market rent. So now you're putting those 3,000 new residents on uh, like only a quarter of the market pushes the price up a lot. Way up. Yeah. So that's how he described it. It was an interesting take uh, way to think about it. So yeah, that's I think that's enough on, on rent control. And really more what I was going to get at was sort of just fiscal health. So one thing like, so living in Chicago, this is obvious because the county, the city, the state, yeah. all of them are in horrible physical health. Uh, or fiscal health like so eventually the taxes need to go up here like this you know they can uh or they need to cut and governments don't really cut spending right so one thing to consider if you haven't thought of it is obviously the fiscal health of the city the county and the state you're investing in so that's what i think you just close it out with where i just saw an article came out uh where Florida for their fiscal year 2021 to 2022, whenever they ended at some point in the middle, 
Yeah, they had a $22 billion surplus for the year. So you go, well, what are the chances Florida's gonna be raising their tax rates? They have extra money. If And then in Arizona, they're cutting the income taxes. And they're talking about, there's a effectively a sales tax on rental payments um, that's, that, they, that the cities collect. They're talking about uh, suspending that because also with how much housing went up. So that that's something that has been proposed. I'm not sure where that went, but if that's still in the works. But so, so these cities that are in good fiscal health in states and counties, they're not looking to raise your taxes and they're potentially going to cut. They're going to cut like what you saw in Arizona. So, you know, why invest in a place where you're going to be met with higher taxes? You know, as a especially as an apartment investor, your biggest individual expense, I guess, would be your your mortgage interest. And then the next thing is property taxes. So then why go to a place where your biggest expense is a huge wild card or has potential for big growth in terms of the rate? And I mean, on the flip side of that, too, you could talk about like the economic death spiral that cities enter. If, you know, if the city is going to try to cut its way to success or financial health, then you're cutting, you know, services, you're, you're cutting future development and infrastructure, you're cutting, you know, police and fire. Um, then you enter a death spiral as a city on the other side, or you enter a tax death spiral where you know the taxes are too high to attract any future growth or development right. or inward migration. Um, so yeah, the, the, you're 100% right here. Cook County, the taxes will have to go up or they're going to have to cut tons of essential services. Yeah. And then these pensions that are a huge issue. I mean, those are promised to these people where they worked thinking I'm going to get this pension. Uh, there's not money there to pay it. So, I mean, this will be interesting to see how things shake out, but yeah, not something where, you know, if you, yeah. So just to, just to close it out, I guess where, yeah. uh, you know, air travel, convention travel, and looking at how those are changing, not just raw numbers, urban sprawl. Ideally you want to find places that when you get the map out, you go, Oh, we can't just be growing in all directions. You know, this is why in New York city and uh, San Francisco, the prices are super high. They're surrounded by water. Like this, there's nowhere to go. There's nowhere to go. You can go up and then everything's expensive. And then also they give you the double whammy there of the the actual, the government makes it hard to do anything too. So you have the physical, you have the governmental, and then now, and then also, um, you know, the other things we touched on just to wrap it up were um, this fiscal health. And then how would we describe this other one? Policy. You Political know. policy regulation. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Well, great job. Yeah, Thank thanks. you. Thanks for being on. Of course. Great. Well, yeah, that's it for this episode. I think um, if we could, if if you're able to like and subscribe to the podcast, and if you listen on Apple, you can leave a review on there. That would really help us get the word out, sort of feed those algorithms, help uh, spread the podcast out to others. On YouTube, you can subscribe and like or comment on videos. That helps push it out as well. So thanks for joining us, and we'll see you on the next episode. Thanks for joining us on the Rise and Invest podcast. Please be sure to hit that subscribe button on YouTube or wherever you enjoy your podcasts. If you'd like to dive even deeper into real estate investing, check out our company's website, riseinvest.com, where we have numerous free resources and information that can help both active and passive real estate investors. Our 100 plus page passive investing guidebook, our trends report, and our blog are all available on our website. If you are an accredited investor, you can get started today as a passive investor in our multifamily investment opportunities by hitting the invest now button on our website. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of Drew Brenneman and guests as of the date of recording and do not purport to reflect the views or opinions of Rise Invest Holdings LLC and its subsidiaries.
The views and opinions are provided for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon or deemed as investment or tax advice or an offer to buy or sell securities. And the speaker cannot be held responsible for any direct or incidental loss incurred by applying any of the information offered.